Uh, James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you and you've got a smartphone, you can probably download an app like YouVersion or something like that that's got, um, uh, got a Bible in it. We're going to read from the ESV. Um, James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Now, this is similar ground that we've been over before, but uh, James really kind of brings it to a head here. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Um, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What's the answer? It's no good. All right? These These are straightforward kind of questions here. Can that faith save him? The answer is... No, he's in trouble. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it? It's no good. All right. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The answer to that is no, no thanks. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, just as a side note, is that not sublime? Would you not want to have that said of you? Oh, Peter. No, he's, he's a friend of God. He's a friend of God. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We're going to look at three things today. The first thing we're going to look at is faith. Second thing is faith works. And the third thing, so what? So what? So let's kick in. Faith. This uh, um, section of uh, James kicks off with this whole idea about faith. Uh, And before we kick in, I want to tackle even what faith is. Uh, Christians are well known for having their own language. True? And it's not expletives, it's Christianese. Right? We have all these terms that we use that we think are great. And sometimes we know what they are, but a lot of times we don't know what they are. And foreigners, foreigners. Visitors come in, I shouldn't call them foreigners, we make them foreigners, right, by our language sometimes, uh, but visitors come in and they just go, oh, I haven't even got a clue what you're talking about. Now, if you're a visitor today, you're really welcome, you're really welcome. My apologies for saying foreigners, that, that's, a, that's, that's not right. Um, and, and my apologies for the fact that Christians just use these fancy terms all the time, but here's, here's encouragement uh, to you. If uh, you've ever visited a church and you've just gone, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. You know there's a bunch of people in the church that don't have a clue what they're talking about as well. Who knows, who knows that's true. And faith is one of those words. I uh, have faith. Well, what are we even talking about? Um, faith was one of those words that I didn't understand for a long period of time, but I grew up in the church. Let me just nail it down 
quickly and briefly and clearly, hopefully. In the Old Testament, faith, the word faith doesn't actually show up very often. You, in the place of it, you have words like trust, believe, hope, those kind of words. Um, when you get into the New Testament, you get this idea that faith is about complete trust and reliance on Jesus. All right? That's, that's kind of the idea of faith. It's not actually just believing that a certain thing is true. It's actually trusting in a person. So here's a, a very simple definition which I think is helpful when it comes to faith. Faith is trusting in the person of Jesus. Okay? So we're not kind of believing and, and having faith in a particular item of truth. We're actually putting our trust in a person. Now, going back to the passage in uh, James chapter 2, hopefully you've got it in front of you, uh, verse 14 to 17 there, we can see that James asks these three questions. The first two, the answers are pretty simple. It's no. Um, this is the, uh, the question, uh, uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Well, it's no good. Um, can that faith save him? No, that faith can't save him. Uh, and then he, um, he goes on and, and asks, uh, gives the illustration of someone being um, poorly clothed um, and someone wishing them well but then doing nothing. And he says, what good is it? Well, there's no good in that at all. What's James saying? He's saying this kind of faith is not actually living faith. It's not saving faith. It's dead. That's what it is. The illustration's an interesting one, though, isn't it? If you have a look at uh, verse 15 there, um, the first thing to notice, I think, about this illustration, let me read it again, it, it would make some of us a little uncomfortable. If, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, <laughs> You know what this is, is uh, there's someone who is lacking things, okay? Um, and, and what we've got here is a response to someone who's in a place of lack, which is like, I'll just give you a, a blessing. Have, have you ever said to anyone ever, God bless you, without doing anything to help them when they're in need? This, this is the kind of thing James is talking about. What about this one? This is, this is a good Christian thing that we do, right? I'll pray for you, brother. <laughs> All right. Someone's in a tough spot. They're lacking. And it's like, I'll pray for your sister. Um, if you've ever done these kind of things, and you know what James is actually talking about here, but it's actually a bit worse than this. Because the, uh, the Greek word behind, um, which is translated uh, poorly clothed, actually can be translated as naked. Or, maybe not completely naked, undies. All right? Okay? You get the point here? Someone is either naked or in their undies, and we say, God bless you. God bless you. Be warmed. Be filled. This is the poor. I mean, James keeps kind of cycling around to the poor. This is giving the poor a religious blessing by doing nothing. Why would someone give someone who is naked or in their undies a religious blessing but do nothing about it? Well, perhaps they don't want to get their hands dirty with this stuff. Perhaps they think someone else will do it. Um, perhaps they think it's complicated to help people in their undies. All right? It is. Not that I do it regularly, right? But that is complicated. 
But James's point here is actually not about helping the poor person, although he makes that very clear in his, in his letter. It's, it's about the fact that uh, that illustration shows that faith that is like that is just no good. So faith also by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. It's not faith at all. So here's the bottom line. Faith without works is not saving faith. If you, if you um, say you have faith and you're a Christian and it doesn't demonstrate itself in works, I mean, God's the ultimate judge, right? But I'm, I'm just telling you, you're on, you're on shaky ground, right? Um, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be confident that you're going to make the cut at the end. Here's the second one. Faith works. So if you want to uh, look in your Bibles there, we're looking at verse 18 to 26. And James actually gets pretty direct. Now, the, the thing that is going on here is that people are throwing around the idea that you can separate faith and action. Uh, that you can say one thing and you can do another. Um, you know, and he highlights this whole idea that people can kind of feel like that they've got their theology right um, and then not actually act in line with it. And he says... If you do that, you're kind of like the devil, all right? Now, I, I never, you know, I taught for probably 18 years and never did I hear a student coming through who said that their goal in life is to be like the devil, <laughs> all right? No one wants to be like the devil. But what's James saying here? He's actually saying that there can be a similarity between the way the devil acts and how he does things, and the way that we act, and the way that we do things. Why? Because he can have the right theology. And I would even argue with you that probably the devil has got better theology than you. He probably does. But it never gets down, it never touches his heart, and leads to action. It never does that. And that's where the problem is. You know, faith and works are always directly and naturally connected. Let me give you an example. Using the context of love, all right? Now, before I start, let me just clarify this. The, the summary of the commandments are what? It, it, you can answer here. What are the summary of the commandments? There's two of them. What are they? Love God and love neighbor, all right? So this is a helpful context to kind of shift this conversation into because the kind of the top two are love God, love neighbor. So let me just cash it out this way. Imagine there was a married couple. And one of the spouses said to the other, I love you so much. There is no more important person in the world than you. But every weekend, they spend all of their time with their friends and leave their spouse at home on their own. Or worse, they say the same things to their spouse and then they go and have a session at the local brothel. What would you say? Yeah, you're a hypocrite. You don't love them at all. Why? Because the actions don't match up with what they're saying. There's a problem with their love. You know, the reality is if you did love the person, you'd be able to see it in action, right? Now, like, just let me just step aside for a sec. Don't, don't get too perfectionistic here, right? Because you've got two... Imperfect people get married and sometimes they're just going to love other things more than their spouse. But you should see a general trend that, that falls in line with what they say. 
A uh, couple of weeks ago, I uh, talked to you about a coin. And uh, let me just use that same illustration again, but just enhance it a little bit. If you imagine this coin to be saving faith, like our coins have heads and tails on them, right? If you imagine this coin is saving faith, one side is faith, the other side is works, (laughs) all right? And a couple of weeks ago, I said, could you take one of these sides away, right? And the answer is, well, you could probably sand it down or grind it down so it's flat, but the very nature of a coin tells you that you can't actually take both sides away. You're always going to have two sides to a coin. You either have no coin or you have a coin with at least two sides on it. Why is that relevant? The reason why it's relevant is because it just doesn't even make sense that you would have faith and not works. In the same way as that illustration before, it doesn't make any sense to say to your spouse, I love you, and then have no actions to go along with it. Because you don't love them. The actions tell you that you love your spouse. You can't have one without the other. You have to have both. This is the nature of faith and works. And you see this all over the scriptures. You listen to this uh, in Romans 1 verse 4 to 5. This is Paul's intro to Romans. He says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. There's action and faith working together. That's what's going on. You can go into 1 John uh, chapter 4 where it talks about love. Listen to this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. What's that? Faith and works. If you love God, you'd see the evidence of it in the way that you love your brother. You know, to separate faith and works is a false separation It only proves that faith is dead. That's what it does. And then we have in verse verse 20 of James 2, faith apart from works is useless. This is what James is arguing here. And here's just a little kind of popcorn truth for you. Whenever faith and works separate, you've got a big problem. (laughs) Okay? Whenever your faith what you believe about God, what you say you believe about God and what you're actually doing separate, you've got a big problem. Now, what does James do? James, I think, in this passage now flips the argument and starts operating in the opposite direction. Up until this point, you could get the idea that if you have faith, then it would naturally lead to works. You know, think of a signpost pointing from faith to works. Now, I think what James does is he flips it And he starts working in the opposite direction. He says the works are a signpost of faith. That's what they are. And I don't think when you work through your way through this passage that James is now doing something different. He's still doing the same thing. He's telling you that faith and works always go together. They always go together. He's just working in a different direction. What what does James say? You can look at someone's works, what they're doing, and work out if they have faith. Of course. Of course. And he gives two examples, right? One of them is Abraham, verse 21 to 23. And this is where James is pivoting from arguing from faith to works to works to faith. You know, Abraham, many of us would know the story. Abraham is 
is uh, called to, uh, by God to offer his son up on the altar because God, the firstborn male, is, belongs to God. Um, he gets called to uh, offer his son up on the altar. What did he do? Well, he got up and he went to do it. His faith was completed by his works or his works showed that he had faith, that he trusted God. And the conclusion... A person is justified, they're made right by works and not by faith alone. Is that because they work really, really hard to be good enough? No, it's not. The works prove that they have faith. All right, return with me to the previous illustration that I gave you about the married couple. Imagine that married couple that I described before with a bit of a tweak, and here's the tweak. Imagine if the spouse never, ever told their other spouse, that they love them. This is not recommended, right? This is just hypothetical. Imagine they never told them that they love them. Now, we know that words are good, right? But imagine this is the case. What if it was really clear, even though they never said that they loved their spouse, that they just, it was, it was obvious, they just loved hanging out with them. They just loved it. They stayed in contact where they could. There'd be multiple texts through the day. Touch and base, they, they bought gifts for their spouse. Uh, they spent lots of time with them. They talked with them lots. They went on dates with them. Would you say that they love their spouse? Would you? Yeah, you would. Why? Because their works point in that direction. Does that make sense? They just point that way. It's like, yeah, it's obvious. Right? It's obvious that they love their spouse. And this, again, is the coin thing, right? They go together. And now you can start with one side and argue to the other side, or you could start with the other side and argue to the other side. I hope that makes sense to you. You know, love, genuine love, is always accompanied by action. This is what James is on about. Now, you will see this idea, even though I've already quoted you a couple of scriptures, you will see this idea that love is always accompanied by action through the scriptures. Um, This disconnect between um, what you say you believe and what you actually believe is, is fatal. It's fatal. And in reality, it doesn't actually make any sense. We could have kind of summarised this whole sermon in about five minutes, I reckon, right? Because you just go, if faith is about trusting in the person of Jesus and you say that you trust in the person of Jesus, but then you do things that say that you don't trust in the person of Jesus, do you trust in the person of Jesus? And the answer is, no, you don't. Like it, do, it, just, it is nonsensical. It just doesn't make sense to say, I love him, and then act in a way that says that you don't love him. Like, it doesn't make any sense, and I think that's what James is tackling here. Jesus um, hits on this. I mean, we could go all over the place, but Luke 6, verse 46, listen to this. This is is a nonsensical, it just doesn't make any sense kind of thing that's going on here that Jesus highlights. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Do you know what Lord means? Owner, master, master authority and typically supernatural so it's a dumb thing to even say to say that God is Lord and then not to actually follow him or be obedient to him just doesn't make any sense here's the uh here's a snippet for you love 
is always accompanied by action. So what we find, and we shouldn't be too bothered by this, but what we find is when we look through the scripture, we see a whole bunch of scriptures that say that you're going to be judged according to your works. Now, some of you might go, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I need to perform to actually get across the line? And I would say to you, no, it doesn't. It means that if God's done a genuine work in you and you actually love him and trust in him, you know what's going to happen? It's going to look like it. It's going to look like it. And when you get judged according to your works, God will be looking at your works and going, is there heart transformation in this person that I can connect to their actions? I mean, you have it all over the place. Psalm 62, 12, for you will render to a man according to his work. Proverbs 24, 12, does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Jeremiah 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Romans 2, verse 6, Paul, the, uh, the great grace guy, he will render, speaking of God, he will render to each one according to his works. Revelation 22, 12, on judgment day, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now, this is, um, this is how it works. If, if you genuinely love Jesus, it will be seen in your actions and God will be able to look at your actions and he will be able to see that. He'll be able to see that that's actually the case. But let me give you another little piece of good news and then we'll move on to the third point this morning. Yeah, the scriptures talk about how God gives you his record. When Jesus dies on the cross, you don't just get forgiven for all the rubbish that you've, that you've done. You actually get given his good record. And so you know what? Your works, because of Jesus, are A1. Is that good? Because some of you, hopefully, if you're thinking about it and you're reflecting on it, you're probably just going, oh, okay, I've got some works that kind of head in the right direction. Then I've got other ones. It's like, ooh, what are they doing? How'd they get in there? Well, uh, Jesus dies on the cross when you trust in him to save you completely. He gives you his record. Cleans up your mess, gives you his record, and now you're smoking it in the best, best possible way. Probably shouldn't even use that line. Jeez, um, there you go. I repent. Here's, the, uh, here's where I want to finish today, and this is where we're just going to kick into a little bit, of, a little bit more family meeting kind of vibe here. Um, so what? So what? Well, I think this is super relevant to the uh, cultural moment that we actually find ourselves in. Let me cash it out for you a bit. Um, COVID came. Everyone's, everyone's aware of that. Seriously, I would love to find someone who's never heard of coronavirus. Wouldn't that be cool? So coronavirus, they go, what are you even talking about? So you've been living under a rock or something. Um, it's just everywhere, right? But coronavirus came and what happened was that, we all know this, the government kind of jumped on and it's like, okay, we need to lock everything down, okay? Um, the lockdown came. Some people love the lockdown, right? A bunch of people struggled. Um, one of the things I think it showed us is that we're all pretty busy with stuff that we're doing for a lot of us. Uh, we're doing a lot of things and the lockdown kind of cancelled just about all of them. That's kind of what the lockdown did uh, for some of us, even uh, jobs that we had. And what it actually forced us to do is it forced us to slow down. 
And that, that's good. It's good to actually slow down. Um, and, and the slowdown um, caused us to have enough time to reflect on who we were and what we were doing. Many of us realised we were more tired than we thought. Many of us realised we were involved in a whole bunch of things that we weren't really that passionate about, what we were just kind of doing. Things that we didn't really enjoy that much and weren't particularly in line with our passion and where we felt God was calling us to go. And so as things started to come online after the lockdown, um, we shifted a bit. Um, and we, I'm just telling you, we have seen that massively at a church level. I mean, people at the moment, I don't know whether you noticed, and, and I'm not even saying this in a negative way, people are in a massive state of flux at the moment. Things are really fluid at the moment. One of the things that we've talked about as staff is I just don't expect that everyone who was volunteering in your area is going to be volunteering when we come out of lockdown and when church actually starts up again. And I think that's, I, I don't even think that's a bad thing. I just think it's a reality. There's been people who have changed churches. You know, there's, there's people that were coming to the project that we haven't seen since we started up again. Uh, and I want to say to you, like, that's okay. That's okay. Um, if people are into where we're going and they want to be part of that vision, that's great. If they're not into it, I would just say go and find somewhere that God wants you to be that you can get into and you can support the vision and, and get after it. We've had a bunch of people come and join us at the project since, um, since we've restarted. And I would just give you a hearty welcome. All right? We, we love to have you. And the interesting thing about it is it appears to us that the project doing things online meant that people could actually interact with us and connect with us before they actually committed to showing up to a service. And so it kind of feels like, to be honest with you, that a bunch of the people that have joined us and are new are kind of rusted on before they even kind of arrive. That's kind of what it's, what it's felt like. And I want to say to you, like, a lot gets said about transfer growth of churches, uh, but the best kind of transfer growth is where people love a vision and they want to get behind it and they want to be part of it. All right, and uh, so if you're if you've kind of gone, yeah, we we like the project and the vision, and we're all for it. It's like, yeah, welcome to the team. That's great. And if you're still checking us out, that's fine. All right, we'll just work out who we are, ask the questions, read the stuff uh, that we have on our website, get a feel for us, listen to sermons, and then when you work out, is this the place that God wants me to be? And you you say yes, I get right into it. Get right into it. Um, People, as I said earlier, people dropped out of things they were serving in. And I want to say to you, I think this is actually natural and normal. One of the things I think that, um, as I mentioned before, one of the things that I think um, uh, COVID has done is it's given us time. It's okay, it's only worth $1,000. Um, it's given us an opportunity. That was the mic, by the way. I just accidentally kicked it off the stage. Um, One of the things that uh, COVID has uh, led us to be able to do is actually to be able to reflect on things that we're doing and what we're involved in. And I want to say to you this morning that healthy reflection always leads to better action. Okay? It always does. So you want to make time in your life to, uh, to do some healthy reflection. And some of you might go, well, Peter, what's healthy reflection? Well, here's what I think is healthy reflection or biblical reflection. Okay? Um, 
you take time in the current moment to think about who God is and what he's doing. Um, that's, that's kind of one of the things you do. You, you take time to think about who is God and what is he doing in this particular cultural moment. Um, the second thing I think that you need to do, you don't have to do these in order, but the second thing that I think you need to do is take some time to think about what's actually happening around me. So you'll see here that this is a Venn diagram um, and, and healthy reflection is going to be in the centre. But the third piece of healthy kind of biblical reflection is this one, who am I and what is happening in me? So when you take time to reflect, if you can get the combination between who is God and what is he doing, what's happening around me and who am I and what is happening in me, where those two all kind of mix in, in the middle, that's where I think you've got healthy biblical reflection. Okay? Now, why, why is this relevant? Why this is relevant is I think that any time that you have major cultural shifts like we've had, I think you have really significant identity shifts for people in the midst of it. I think that's just a given. I just think that's how it rolls. You have all these kind of restrictions come on and what are people doing? They're thinking, who am I? What was I doing that for? Is that really what I want to do? What am I supposed to be doing? And we had a good slab of time where I think a bunch of that stuff was happening. There's a re-evaluation of who people are in terms of identity and I think it's really significant. I don't think for a second that we're at the end of that yet. Now, Daniel Andrews yesterday in a press conference came out and he said that he expects that there won't be a normal for at least 12 months, all right? But there, there is a possibility of a COVID normal for the next 12 months. So we could be kind of in this holding pattern for a while yet. But what happens in that holding pattern is people's identities and the way they see themselves and the things that they do are shifting and moving. Now... Is that a good thing? Some of you might go, is that a good thing, Peter? And I go, yes, it is. But I think it's dangerous. All right? And here's what's dangerous about it. People can settle into passivity and inactivity. All right? Now, the line that we've used for that is uh, people settle into being an introvert. Now, do I think there was something really helpful that happened? This is the fa- we're getting in a family meeting now, okay? Do I think there was something that really happened with the lockdown? Yeah. Do I think that there's a danger and a risk to us right now? Yeah, I do. And I think that danger and that risk is going passive and inactive. People, people get comfortable. In, people got comfortable in the lockdown period. Maybe that was many of us. We settled into an introverted life. Which is why we're not live streaming, right? Because we just don't think that you sitting on your couch at home is the kind of gathering of church that God had in his mind's eye when he came up with the idea of church, okay? And like we know, it's a bit uncomfortable getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning and doing church really early, but we think Jesus is worth it, amen? Amen? And, and when you have 
And you people do, right? When you have a vision and an understanding of who Jesus is and what the church is meant to be, yeah, 8 o'clock's easy, right? And people do say to us, they say, well, that's early, right? And we, you know what my line is? You can use my line if you want. It's like, yeah, it is early, but it's good to be together, isn't it? Isn't that it? Let me tell you something that the uh, elders, the leaders of the project know. We know. And you know this too. All right? Good things happen when we get together. Don't they? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Who, who can put their hand up now? Like, let's be honest about it and say it's been good to be together again. Amen? I mean, I wrote a letter to you guys like five weeks ago saying we're going to get back together because there is something about the temple of the Holy Spirit that he dwells in his people corporately as they gather together. That's all we need to get together. And we've been pumped about what Jesus has been up to since we've been back together. And you know what? We're going to keep working on this thing. And if uh, there are other options of things that we could do to make church on Sunday morning sing better, um, and I don't mean that literally, I just mean go really well, we're, we're going to do those. So today, um, I don't even know how it went, right, because I was in here, but we had Jaden literally hosting for the people out in Tommy's today. So they didn't have to do everything by video feed. So we're just working out how we're going to do things and that are a bit more personal and going to connect with people, provide leadership and covering the people. We are working out how the heck we can do communion, right? So we're working on that at the moment. Uh, so we're just thinking about a whole bunch of things. But what, what's my point in all of this? My point in all of this on the back of the first two points this morning about faith and faith works um, is that it's normal for us to be active. Okay? It's normal for us to be active. Now, some of you, just going to go out on a limb here for a bit, right? Some of you had a clear sense about some stuff that God was talking to you about that he wanted you to do. And then COVID came and it's like, it all just kind of went up, right? And I want to say to you this morning, we just need to get back on track. All right? And not just the church, not just the church leadership, you all need to get back on track. Because that's normal. It's normal for faith to work itself out in love. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. It's not a good paraphrase. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty clear, I think. You've got stuff to do today. And God organized it before the creation of the world. He's got stuff for you to do. So you know what you need to do? Go and do it. Go and get it done. What does he want you to do? So go and do it. You know, tomorrow, he's got some stuff for you to do. Yeah, it's all organized. The resources are there. The good things are ready to go. He's got to walk in it. And, uh, and on Tuesday... You know what he's got organised on Tuesday? He's got some good things to do on Tuesday for you. And, and you just, you know, it's not like God goes, okay, son, away you go. He goes, no, come on, I've got these things organised, we're going to go and do something. We're going to go and do it together. 
It's not massively complicated. But if you'll permit me, as something of a spiritual father in this place, let's not be passive. Let's not be inactive. Let's, let's be asking God, what, what do you want me to do? The project, we've always said, there's kind of three main areas. Um, for healthy Christianity, uh, in our view, and that's to be in biblical community. So we're thinking about all the one another's of the New Testament. Bear one another's burdens, love one another, forgive one another. You've got to be close enough to people to be able to activate those as one another's. And the one-stop shop for us is community groups. And I'll just say to you, it's like you say to me, well, I can't really fit in a community group. I say, okay, well, you've got a big challenge on your hands, right? Because all of the one and others are for all of us. How are you going to do it? Get active. Find a way to do it. Serve regularly. Find something, um, just find something to do to serve, to serve God's church. We said this from the very beginning of the project. Be in community, serve regularly, and... Come to church on Sunday morning, okay? Gather as God's children. Gather and glorify God and bless other people. Now, here's I'm going to cap off this bit and then I'm going to invite you to share for a few moments. Um, the one, one of the things I think you see in James chapter 2 there is faith will provoke you towards outrageous things, won't it? If you go, God, I trust you, who's, you know, to put your hand up, who is going to say this, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do because I know you're going to come with me and you're going to give me what I need to do. Who is brave enough to say that? Now, we're all supposed to, all right? But isn't that what Abraham did? He said, God, I will do whatever, whatever. He, d- he said that in his actions, didn't he? His only son. He said, I'll do whatever. You ask me to do. Outrageous. And even Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who uh, was a resident of Jericho. And the Israelites are heading into the promised land. What did she do? Well, there's some couple of spies came in. She had been convinced through hearing the, uh, the tales about God that he was the real deal. What'd she do? Well, she hit him, sent the, uh, the army of Jericho off on a wild goose chase and helped him to escape. Prostitute pulling in from, from a foreign country, pulling in alongside God's people and joining herself to God's people. Outrageous. Outrageous. What does God have for you to do? There'll be lots of small things. But there's a bigger piece which is calling, like what am I supposed to be doing? And to summarise this message today, how will your faith work? How will it work? How will it be active? 
And my encouragement to you today is classic Sondergeld. Which I think is going to paraphrase what you see in the Bible pretty regularly. Get after it. Just get after it. Get after every single one of those good things that God has for you to do. And who knows what outrageous thing you might end up doing because you're prepared to follow him.